Blood and bloody ashes, we're back to this again. Honestly, the Gleeman has become so inconsistent, I wasn't even sure if we were doing the podcast anymore. Really, he didn't tell me that last week he was busy, so I came, and he said he was busy, and then I came again, and he's like, I, I told you earlier, no podcast this week, and I'm like, come on! Like, like what, what do you want from me? Oh, I hate the Gleeman so much. Did you notice that he tried to record without his notes last week? It was... <laughs> He had to delete like 25 minutes of footage and take some notes and get back into it. It was truly hilarious. He can't spit fire off the top of his brain like I can. Ha 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 ha. So, uh, Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast is a reread series, therefore, it's a spoiler podcast. So, if you haven't read all the books yet, you really should leave. Otherwise, you might find out some information you really did not want to know. Uh, and if you haven't finished the series yet, why not? It's fantastic. Get back to it right now. I am in it, and that makes it greatness. Yes. Well, anyways, moving on. Moving on. I think we'll just go straight into the recap. I talked a little too much last time. Had to get some things off my chest, but regardless, let's move on to the recap. Yes. Randall Thor, Matt Cawthon, and Tom Marilyn arrived in Whitebridge. They wanted to keep going, but Tom Marilyn thought it was better that they just, you know, get back on Doman ship, go to Ilion, run away from all the hordes, and live there until their old men, gray and tired of watching their grandchildren, so content they won't even care if the merger all get them, which Tom Marilyn should know by now. Young or old, you never want the merger all to get you. I don't even know why he said that, but whatever. Florin Gelb was a piece of shit and spreading rumors, so <laughs> they had to skedaddle. You know what I mean? They had to run for it. But, ha, one of my servants had caught up. A merger all. And Tom Marilyn was separated from the boys at last. No more interference from him. However, he's not dead. To be honest, okay, even I did not want Tom Marilyn to kick the bucket just yet. He is a decent opponent, clever, brave, and resourceful. What's the point of playing the game if you have no one to compete with, you know? So I just separated them for a while, and I figured that would work out. Told the Murdral not to kill him or pursue him, and uh, ordered one of my Black Arjar servants to heal him. None of that is canon, of course, but I'm Baalzaman. Are you really not going to believe me? It's not like I just made that up off the top of my head. It's not like it's something you would call headcanon, is it? Who knows? Hmm. Well, anyways, I think it's about time to move on. I talked a little too much last time, so we'll just get the clip of the day going. No, what? No. No. I'm still upset at the Gleeman, because once again, no balls on Q&A, even though he has some questions lined up. So you know what? If he's going to take something from me, I'm going to take something from him. Do you know what this sound is? Do you know what this is? This is the draw. This is where the tickets are. Oh! Oh, I just shook it and opened the lid and a ticket fell on the floor. That must be the winner. Let's see who it is. Let's just watch the Gleeman's face as he comes in and realizes I have already picked the winner. All right, I'm gonna turn this over and... Oh, the winner is Mosey Me. Hmm, I don't know who that is. But the Gleeman will send you an email and a Patreon message, and you can decide whether you want the gold crown, the silver mark, and the copper penny, or you want uh, the $15 e-gift card. I don't know what an e-gift card is, but whatever. So, Mosey Me is the winner. Congratulations. That's, that's impressive. I thought it would be the guy 
James Claver since he has the majority of tickets in here. Let's see who would... I'm going to draw again and see what the hell happens. Let's do this again. <laughs> oh, this time it was James Claver. But <laughs> Mosey Me is the winner. All right, here's the clip of the day. I wonder what the Gleeman is going to think about these. <laughs> I chose the winner. <laughs> Congratulations, Mosey Me. Here's the clip of the day. But she tended her cooking and never said a word about the axe. She did not even say anything when a wolf entered from deeper in the house and curled up between Perrin and the door to the yard. Perrin went on sharpening. It would be time to use it soon. Abruptly, the wolf rose, rumbling deep in its throat, the thick ruff of fur on its neck rising. Baalzaman stepped into the kitchen from the yard. Mistress Luhan went on with her cooking. Perrin scrambled to his feet, raising the axe, but Baalzaman ignored the weapon, concentrating on the wolf instead. Flames danced where his eyes should be. Is this what you have to protect you? Well, I have faced this before. Many times before. He crooked a finger and the wolf howled as fire burst out of its eyes and ears and mouth, out of its skin. The stench of burning meat and hair filled the kitchen. Osbert Luhan lifted the lid on a pot and stirred with a wooden spoon. Perrin dropped the axe and jumped forward, trying to beat out the flames with his hands. The wolf crumpled to black ash between his palms. Hey everyone, welcome back to Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time. Oh, I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little frustrated. That flame-faced bastard stole my moment, and he will pay for it. I've already put a tweet out about it, but if you guys have any ideas on how I can get that Oh, get him back? Let me know. Because I'm so upset about it, I can't I can't even think of any ideas. I can't. It's just... Oh, okay. So, I'm your host, Tom. It's good to be back. I, I, I'm sorry about yet another hiatus. It... Ah, uh, but we're back, and that's wonderful. And it's a great chapter to be back. It, it's a very mellow, fun travel chapter with the Tuathuan. So... Let's just get right into it and uh, have some fun, shall we? Congratulations to Mosey Me for winning our first drawing. I will be contacting you soon, uh, probably tomorrow. I I, I, I almost want to hope that the person listens to <laughs> hears their name before they get the announcement. You know, it would be almost more fun that way. But I I don't know. So yeah, today we'll be covering chapter 27 of The Eye of the World, Shelter from the Storm. Uh, and uh, it's a rather enjoyable travel chapter with the Tuathuan, very mellow until, you know, the end when things get a little bit serious. So after coming across a group of the traveling people in their last chapter, Perrin, Egwene, and Elias continue on with the Tinker's slow-moving caravan. And when I say slow-moving, I mean it. The wagons don't start moving until, like, mid-morning and stop by mid-afternoon if they're able to find a suitable spot, all the while moving slow enough that the Tinker's dogs and children can walk alongside the moving caravan with no trouble at all. You know, and they're all traveling on merrily, you know, music playing at almost all hours. And according to Perrin, all of the people, young or old, moved like they were ready to break into dance. Which is weird to me, but I guess it's nice and mellow and happy and they're good people, whatever. Today's chapter <laughs> also reminds us that Perrin is... Absolutely still a surly teenager. <laughs> and he's quite frustrated with being stuck with the Tuathuan and especially how slow they're moving, you know? And he was surprised that Elias wasn't ready to move on either, you know? Especially when he seemed not to be entirely comfortable with the traveling folk, you know? The Tinkers were always smiling and friendly, but at the same time, they seemed really wary, too. Like, uh, Perrin describes it as a half-tamed deer, 
you know? And that the wariness kind of faded away just a bit around Perrin and Egwene, but was still sharp around Elias. And it didn't go away. You know, he kind of described it as they were always watching him, you know, kind of fascinated by him, but at the same time afraid. I don't... It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, I got lost. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the Wolf Brother himself didn't seem very comfortable with the Tinkers, you know? Uh, he, he was described as having... Um, his mouth always being in a permanent twist, and Perrin didn't think it was quite condensation, and certainly not contempt, but it looked like he'd rather be elsewhere, anywhere else than where he was. But whenever Perrin was like, hey, let's go, this is slow, let's get out of here, and he asked quite a lot, Elias would just be like, hey lad, relax, get a bite of this, take a rest. You know, you had hard days before you met me, and you'll have harder still ahead with Trollocs and Murdral after you and Aes Sedai for friends. Don't be in such a bloody hurry to put yourself in Aes Sedai hands, lad. Really, just, just calm down. <laughs> and isn't it kind of interesting that a former warder would say such a thing? I, I mean, he didn't stop being a warder because he changed his mind or didn't accept his duty. He left because some reds were giving him trouble about being a wolf brother and he said something he shouldn't have about them being Black Aja and that got him in real trouble. And then he had to kill some warders to escape, which I always found odd too, since reds don't have warders. So probably another sister overheard the Black Aja comment or that he was leaving and sicked her warders or warders, warder or warders on him. You know, if it was a green. Huh. I suppose he knows full well how a wolf brother will be treated in the tower. And that's kind of why he's telling Perrin, just relax. You're not going to really want to be there, buddy. Come on. <laughs> but when I try to think about it, I can't think of a single Aes Sedai that makes a big deal out of Perrin being a wolf brother. Not one. Uh, except perhaps Varen, and she didn't really make a big deal about it. She was more poking and prodding in order to study a Tavirin slash wolf brother in action. So I don't, I don't know. It, it never really comes up again. Nobody really comments on Perrin's wolf brotherness like in a bad way for Aes Sedai. It's just, huh. Moving on, uh, a moment I really, really liked here was how Perrin still felt disconcerted by Elias's yellow-eyed gaze. You know, he's going to get one soon, but this one still makes him a little uncomfortable, especially when Elias smiles. That's when he's the most disconcerted, and I loved his little quote here. Smiles seldom touch those hunters' eyes. <laughs> Anyways, Perrin just kept on asking, can we leave yet? How about now? Now? Now, right? But you can't really blame him here, you know? Uh, Elias is getting a little annoyed, but, you know, he's worried about the Tinkers, you know? His main argument is very valid. It's, well, what if the Fades find us? What then? Three wolves can't hold them off, and the Tinkers won't be able to defend themselves because, you know, they won't defend themselves, so they'll all just die. The Trollocs and the Fades and maybe even the Drakkar will just show up and butcher the Tuathwan, and it will be all their fault. And Perrin doesn't really want to have that on his conscience, you know? Now, honestly, Perrin may be a surly teenager at the moment, pouting because he's not getting his way, but he's right. They've got places to be. Evil is chasing them down, and if they don't go soon, the kind and merry traveling folk who have invited them to their fires, clothed them, fed them, and sheltered them from the storm that has become their lives could potentially be massacred because of their kindness to these strangers. You know, I may not entirely agree with the way of the leaf, much like Perrin and Elias, but I don't condemn it either. So I get really, I really do get Perrin's frustration here. He wants to go and be away. And this becomes something that happens a lot in this chapter. This is his main argument that he repeats several times. 
But Elias simply says that something tells him to wait. And this is just driving Perrin crazy. You know, something. What is this something, you know? If Elias knows something the rest of them don't, he should just tell them. But Elias is firm, you know? It's just something tells him to wait, you know? He doesn't get these feelings often, but when he does, he listens to them. Because it's saved his life before now. And he does admit that there is something different about this feeling that he hasn't felt before. You know, and it's important, but he can't quite put his finger on it. But all the same, he'll be waiting for the right time to leave. Huh, I wonder what that special, important, different thing is. Could it be the Taviranness? Oh. (laughs) Oh, we're going to be bringing up Taviran a lot, folks, because it works so well. It might just be one of my favorite writing hacks of all time. Plot armor? No. Taviran. (laughs) So, it's around this time that Elias Machira spouts one of my all-time favorite Wheel of Time quotes. Alright? Relax, lad. Take life as it comes. Run when you have to. Fight when you must. Rest when you can. Oh, light. Elias can be so damn cool sometimes, you know? That sounds like something Lan might say, except the fight when you must part. Like, <laughs> Lan fights anytime. <laughs> he flirts death. He courts death like he, like others would court a maiden, you know? So fight when you must wouldn't really be on Lan's list. But it's still one of those really cool badass dude sayings. And I love it. And this is the whole reason I said Perrin was turning into a surly teenager, or really was a surly teenager, you know? Because he's pestering Elias again and again. Can we go? We need to go. We like, what is this something? Let's just... But the older man just, he wasn't interested in discussing leaving again. He sat and talked with Rain and smoked pipes. He ate, he napped with his hat over his eyes. But all he would say to Perrin as he asked again and again was like, Patience, lad. Something told him to wait. Something told him it was important. Have some pie, lad. Don't lather yourself. Try some of this stew. Relax. (laughs) This coming from Perrin's point of view... And the tone from Perrin is the whole reason Surly Brooding Teenager came about. (laughs) Like, he's just so frustrated. You know, but Perrin couldn't relax. He was just entering his brooding phase, and he needed to keep it up. You know, at night he wandered the camp, walking in between the rainbow-colored wagons, brooding and worrying. And this is the funny part. Partly because that was his thing now, and partly, I'm not kidding, because no one else seemed to worry, so he thought he should worry. <laughs> I'm sorry, that it just it gets me every time. I don't know, I read these books, and the way I'm discussing them on the podcast, it's almost like I'm trying to turn them into a comedy. But I don't laugh just with amusement, you know? I laugh with a delight at a lot of this stuff. This is just, it's my favorite fantasy series, and it's great. Stuff like this makes me wonder why Perrin doesn't, you know, quote Rand more often, you know, or, or use the same quotes, you know? Death is lighter than a feather, duty heavier than a mountain. Doesn't that same sound like something Baron should be saying a lot, just as often as Rand says it? I, I'm just saying, it's very, it's very in character for both of them, but Perrin, I don't know if he ever actually says it. I don't know. But, you know, so Perrin's just watching, you know, the lively camp. People dancing, playing music, laughing, eating, the children playing with the big dogs. And all he could think about is they have to leave. They have to get out of here before they brought the hunters down on these kind and innocent people. They had to go. And he couldn't, so he was brooding. (laughs) He tried to talk with Egwene, 
but it was really hard to get her alone to chat. You know, she was either talking privately with Hila, their head, their heads together, and their body language seeming to say that at, at least a Perrin that no man was welcome, right? Or <sighs> she was dancing with that goat kissing, goose brained pretty boy Aram. <sighs> Swinging around and around to the music. Well, at least she's having fun. Even if it is in bad company. But whatever. It wasn't only Egwene that was get, getting into dancing, you know? In the spirit of the music. Perrin did too. And according to him, he'd never danced so hard or so well in his life. You know? Apparently back in Emmons Field, he had only be, been ever equated to an adequate dancer. And his voice is even worse. But here, he was, I don't know, he was into it. He was doing good, you know? And he was even requesting songs, you know? And we got Jordan's thing of names changing over distance. So, for instance, uh, a song parent knew as Three Girls in a Meadow, the Tinker's called Three Maids Dancing. But I think my favorite part when was when Perrin, not thinking, asked for the Tinker Has My Pot. <laughs> which caused the Tuath one to just fall over themselves laughing, and Perrin was all embarrassed. Um, but they knew it as toss the feathers, <laughs> you know? So he's like, oh, oh well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> like, ah. And next, oh, speaking of music and dancing, next comes the Taganza. It's not called the Taganza in this chapter. I think the first person... To name it the Taganza is Fael, right? And that's when she also brings up the Susara, uh, <laughs> which even makes Ela gasp. <gasps> like, you know the Susara? Which means, I think the Tinkers, a couple Tinker girls might know it too. I'm just, who knows? Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Taganza too much. Um, either I'm like Perrin and a bit of a prude, or I just don't want to feel like a perv talking about this scene in detail. Listener's choice. You decide. Whatever. Basically, though, the second night in the Tinker Camp, a couple of the young women began to dance by the fire. To Perrin's great embarrassment. Because, you know, they're erotic dances. <laughs> I, looked up, uh, I looked it up both on Google and in the Wheel of Time Companion. Uh, and the dance is apparently a celebration of womanhood. And it's a dance that involves mostly swaying of the hips, emphasized by the scarf she would, uh, scarf or shawl that she would hold behind her waist to emphasize her movements. And oh, poor, poor Perrin. He could barely even look at them. You know, his face is red as a beet. And he's hoping for the wind so he could cool down a little bit. And he's just, oh, he's getting embarrassed. He's closing his eyes, but he can still see them tantalizing behind his eyelids, you know. And then at one point, a slightly older woman came in to show her, show the girls how it was done. And Perrin would just, oh, groan to himself and put his head in his hands because he's a prude. Um, and I, I might be too. I get embarrassed in that kind of situation. I really would. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, oh, poor Perrin, uh, and basically, it was apparently because of Perrin's blushes and embarrassment that the Tinker Girls, or I should say Tinker Young Women, would dance this every night after <laughs> that they're there, <laughs> And uh, Elias makes a good joke about it. He's like, thank you, lad. You know, and he's he's very deadpan about it, right? And he's like, I should thank you, lad. For at, you know, my age, it takes more than a fire to warm my bones. <laughs> and then he walked away. And Perrin was sure from his back that even though he wasn't showing it, he was totally laughing at him on the inside. <laughs> so are we, Perrin. So are we. <laughs> Gotta say, though, these Tinker Gals are, are kind of aggressive, though, aren't they? They're giving him smiles and winks. They know he's a prude. They're dancing back and forth into his line of sight. He's like, oh, no, like swaying ladies. And then he looks away, and then they just dance into his line of sight again. Oh, no, and he looks the other way, and there they come again. Like, what is he supposed to do about it, you know? 
<laughs> and then they just continue to dance every night because one dude blushed a bunch? I mean, even Rain says they don't dance with the Daganza often. I just... <laughs> oh, poor Perrin. <laughs> and soon after, even Egwene begins to learn the dance. Blushing and giggling with the girls, but cheeks red and eyes shining, she persevered, you know, learning the swaying movements and everything. Egwene loves learning new stuff. And Perrin saw this. And he thought about intervening. He thought about it. But then he thought better of it. <laughs> because he's like, uh, I don't think I don't I don't think she's gonna be nice if I ask her why she's doing this. <laughs> and it's a good thing too, because yeah, Egwene would not have been happy if he cracked his teeth, you know? <laughs> but it makes me wonder, if Egwene learned the Taganza, right? Do you think she ever put it to use? You know? There was a time that Egwene was in Kyrian and Gawain was in Kyrian and it wasn't uncommon for them to find a private dining room to spend some time together and I don't think they were going at it. Uh, I think they were, you know, mostly, you know, making out or just hanging out or I, I don't know it's but do you think she ever you know performed the dance for him in one of those private dining rooms I'm just I'm just wondering okay in her Aiel garb she had a shawl I'm, 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 I'm just I'm just saying you know maybe she even uh, I can almost imagine her teaching the dance to Elaine as well not naive because <laughs> honestly imagine Nynaeve's reaction if she saw what Nine, what Egwene was doing right here. Really. <laughs> she might want to learn it. You know. Uh, she might want to dance it for Lan. Right. To get a, some of his stubbornness out of the way. Right. But uh, I doubt she'd ever admit that out loud. You know. <laughs> Though I did have a dream once. That Lan still wanted to die after Tarman Gaiden. But Nynaeve shut that down by dancing the Sasara. <laughs> but let's move past that topic. Um, oh, oh, guys, did, did you guys see? Uh, I know you all saw it. Uh, the casting for Lan. Oh, my God, it looks great. I, I just opened my phone right now to look at it. It looks awesome. Oh, what's his name again? Uh, Daniel Henney. Okay, I, I, I'm excited. I'm not even going to lie. Like, this looks good. I, I'm, oh, I'm in for it. Okay, moving on, <laughs> I would like to point out as well that while Egwene was learning the Taganza with the other Tawathwan girls, Aram was watching Egwene learn the dance with this just gross, hot, hungry gaze. And I just don't get it. Egwene is an intelligent and observant young woman. How can she not see these warning signs? Really, I do not understand it. Is she just into him because he's good looking? Is that it? I mean, is he charming to her? Because he doesn't seem charming to anyone else. I, I don't, I don't, I do not get it at all. Like, there's few characters that aren't evil in this series that I hate. Okay, I don't even entirely hate Pot on Fane because Pot on Fane is interesting. Okay, you know what? I hate Pot on Fane, but I love to hate Pot on Fane. Aram and several white cloaks are those characters that I just cannot stand and I don't even want to read about them and I'm so happy this is going to be the last time I have to deal with Aram for a while. But then, of course, he'll be back soon enough, won't he? <sighs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, finally, Perrin did manage to get Egwene alone at one point, you know, and he wants to talk to her. And uh, <laughs> he's a little bit surly and broody again. 
and he kind of points out sarcastically that, well, you seem to be enjoying yourself, Gwen. <laughs> and I love her reply to this. You know, because it totally proves my surly broody thing. She tells Perrin that, well, not everyone has to work at being miserable like you do. <laughs> so yeah, Perrin was trying to talk with Egwene, and she's fingering some blue beads around her neck and smiling at them that that blasted, milk-hearted tinker who wasn't far off watching them uh, gave Egwene. You know, he, he he's over just a short distance away watching her with a confident smile on his face, which is just... So Perrin leans in and says quietly that, you know, he thought she wanted to be Aes Sedai. You know, can't do that if you're going to go keep playing around with the pretty boy. And Egwene responds with a simple but frustrating, Oh, I thought you didn't want me to be an Aes Sedai. Bloody flaming light woman, he doesn't. But, like, he's respecting your decision. What? I, I don't like those kind of responses unless I'm giving them, because there's nothing to really do about it. <laughs> and Perrin goes on, you know, about how, you know, his, his, his classic argument, a murderer could find us at any moment. And what do you think will happen to these people if it does? Huh? <laughs> and then this is for the first time we see Egwene her little uh, enjoyment mask slip off, right? For just a moment. And she trembles, holding her uh, little beads, right? Uh, and her answer is quite reasonable, even if I don't like it very much. She says that whatever will happen, will happen. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or a week from now. She then tells Perrin to enjoy himself while he can. Because this really might be the last chance they have to do so. Which is pretty melancholy. And then that blasted Aram holds out his hand to her. And she darts over to him already laughing. Because she makes bad decisions when it comes to men. What was it? Gawain? Galad? Aram. Rand is the best one! Which? Which? Uh, anyways, anyways, whoo, then this is, our, this is one of our last ARAM moments, I think it's our second to last one, but this one makes me very upset. <laughs> As ARAM runs away with Egwene, I'm wringing my hands in frustration, by the way. <laughs> As ARAM runs away with Egwene, he flashes... He flashes Perrin a triumphant look. A triumphant look. A look that says, she's not yours, but she'll soon be mine. <laughs> what did he think was happening here? Does he think Egwene and Perrin are a couple and they're breaking up or something? I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I just don't like it. Aram is awful. And I don't understand why Egwene can't see it. She's supposed to be into Rand, but she didn't even hesitate to start flirting and dancing with another boy. And later, later, in the same book, when she hears that Rand met several girls and only talked to them, she gets all snooty. Who's Min? Who's Alice Grinwell? Who's Elaine? Oh, you met the daughter heir? Huh. And then she gets all sniffy and angry. She was literally... What's worse, having a polite conversation with someone in front of you that happens to be an attractive person of the opposite sex or literally spending a week dancing in their arms and running around laughing and eating together with their mother? And... <sighs> she was practically dating Aram for like a week. How could she get mad at Rand later for talking to girls? I don't understand... These double standards that Egwene has that apply only to her. She can do something, but someone else can't. She can go into the dream even though it's dangerous, but Nynaeve can't. She can go into the dream even though it's dangerous, but Elaine can't. She can do whatever the hell she wants to do as long as she says it's okay. 
But if someone else does the exact same thing she did a book before, bad on them. Bad. Because you didn't check it with Egwene first. Now, I'll be clear. I do like Egwene's character. Later. But I am so frustrated with this situation. Because she blows it off. She just blows it off. You know? Rand, who are these girls you were talking with? And Perrin's just like, oh, should we talk about Aram? And she just walks away. But she's still giving Rand problems problems about this later. But Rand can't... I, I, okay, I'm going to move on because... <sighs> I think I was repeating myself by then. I don't. I think there's only so many times... I can say I hate Aram and I don't get it <laughs> before it comes really, really old. And I think that time came about three or four I hate Arams ago. So moving on, Perrin watched Egwene go and couldn't help but think that Elias was right. The Tuath one didn't have to trick anyone. The way of the leaf just seemed to seep into you. And uh, as he stood there shivering in the cold... When Aila saw them there, just huddled in the wind, she she went and gave him a dark green cloak because she's very nice. And she even gave him a darker color because he knew he'd be more comfortable with it. And he kind of had the audacity to be like, oh, thank God it's a dark color. Like, because Aila's nice. But, you know, she only has one problem here. And that's when she gives him and he's like, Ooh, yes, that fits very well on you. Hmm. And then she looks at the X. It could fit better, though. Yes, it could fit better. <laughs> and they were all like that, according to Perrin. Every single tinker was never hesitant to invite you to their fire for some food or drink or music. But all of them looked at the axe the same way. As a weapon. A weapon used to kill men. And there was no excuse for violence. Not one. That was the way of the leaf. And it drove Perrin crazy. You know, he wanted to shout at them. Tell them that there were trollics and fades in the world. People who would cut down every leaf without a second thought. That the way of the leaf itself would burn in Baal Zaman's eyes. But instead, he took to keeping his axe visible because that was the only little rebellion he could do. You know? Pushing his cloak aside uh, so that the axe could be in plain sight, even if there was a strong wind or cold breeze. And Elias kind of watched this with a smile, you know, looking at the axe, looking at him. And Perrin was almost sure he knew what he was thinking, and it almost made him cover the axe back up. Almost. Okay, moving on. While Perrin found the traveling people's camp a source of constant irritation, because, you know, he wanted to be away, they were moving slow, and he was worried to death about him, uh, his only comfort with it, at least his dreams were normal, for now, um, but they were nightmares, and not even good nightmares, like really bad nightmares, but still no dark one, right? So that's good. Um, he would wake up night after night, reaching for his axe in a cold sweat, only to realize that his dream had been just that, a dream, and that the rainbow wagons were not on fire, and no blood-covered trollocs stood over the corpses of innocent people. Again, poor dude, he is just not having a good time. You know, he just wants to get this journey over with and not endanger everyone he's near to, and I can get that. So next we move on to the wolves. Yes, we get some wolf stuff. Perrin could feel his connection to them growing day by day, and he knew where they were, he knew their thoughts, he knew their contempt for the tinker dogs who had forgotten to use their jaws and the taste of hot blood. <laughs> and he also knew their inner squabbling. You know, Dapple, the lead wolf, grew more impatient every day. She disliked being away from the pack so long. And if Elias wanted this thing done, let it be done, you know? Wind was tired 
of the slow travel and scarce prey. He despised having to hunt field mice, something he considered good enough for pups learning or the old not able to hunt anymore. And sometimes Wind even thought Byrne was right, leaving human affairs to the humans. But he was very, very careful about these thoughts when Dapple was near, and even more so around Hopper. Oh man, guys, Hopper comes across so cool here. He's described as this grizzled old fighter with age and experience, and he cared nothing for humans, but Dapple wanted this thing done, and he'd run when she ran and wait when she waited. Wolf or man, bull or bear, any who challenged Dapple would find Hopper's jaws waiting to send them into the long sleep. And that was the whole of life for Hopper, and it kept Wynn cautious. And Dapple ignored the thoughts of both. Seriously, doesn't Hopper come across as awesome or what? Oh, so cool. Hopper is the greatest wolf in the series, no doubt. Oh, really, Cat? I, I, I hope you don't hear that. The cat's using the scratcher. She demanded to be let in uh, when I paused the podcast for a moment. And she just wants attention and shit. And she's being really annoying. I love the cat, but good God, she can be needy. Um... Where am I? Oh, yeah. Hopper came across awesome or what? Hopper was great. Hopper is the greatest wolf in the entire series. No doubt. Seriously, Sophia? The cat is still giving me trouble. (sighs) Anyways, Perrin just wanted it all to end. He wanted to Camelot. He wanted Moraine and Tarvalin. Even if there were no answers waiting at the end, at least it would be done. (laughs) <laughs> Silly Perrin. That would just be the beginning. Honestly, after after having read the entire series through multiple times, I can't think of anything worse than if those three Tavirid actually made it to Tarvalin. They'd be leashed and used for the rest of their lives. And, and, and that's the good option, you know? The bad option would be if some of the Black Aja, you know tries to kill them or deliver them to Shale Ghoul, you know? I'm not sure if Moraine would have distrusted Shiryam, you know? Because uh, Shiryam was old friends with Moraine and Swan. So she'd be close enough to do something really, really heinous. And, yeah, since she's from the same Aja on the surface as Moraine, and the two go way back, I think the gang would trust her too much, just like Egwene and even Elaine did. They confided in Shiryam, and they trusted in Shiryam when they really should have. (laughs) And finally, we get to that big moment of the chapter. Perrin begins another dream, and unlike his previous, the Tinker Camp was not in flames. Instead, he was sitting in Mistress Luhan's kitchen as she cooked. He sat at the table, sharpening his axe, which even in his dream he found odd, as Mistress Luhan never let that kind of work be done in the house. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. The moment I started talking about Perrin sharpening his axe, I started doing the movement with my hands, and I still haven't stopped, and I don't know why. I'm, okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's odd, because Luhan, Mistress Luhan never allows that stuff to happen. You know, Master Luhan even has to take her knives outside to sharpen them. But he continued his work, and she said not a word about it, just humming to herself as she cooked. Next, that was odd. The sharpening he found odd, but the wolf entering the kitchen from deeper in the house, curling up on the floor between Perrin and the door, not weird at all. Huh. (laughs) And a little time passed as Perrin continued to sharpen his axe. It would be time to use it soon, when suddenly... (laughs) Say it. 
Oh, Light, what are you doing here? I'm still mad at you. Go away. You have, you ruined everything, dude. Go away. Oh, come now, Gleeman. I have a scene in this chapter. Why don't you let me help you out? You stole my moment, dude. You stole it. This was my first raffle, and you stole it. And I'm still mad about it. So no, I don't want you here. Go away! Yeah, Gleeman, so you need to make a decision here. Do you want to sit here and argue and waste time on the podcast because I don't really want to leave at the moment? Or do you want to continue the podcast, get through the dream sequence that isn't even that long, and I'll leave? Which is it? Which? Choose. Choose now. Ugh, fine. Perrin, was sharpening his axe, he would need to use it soon, when suddenly he looked up at the door, <laughs> and Baal Zaman was there. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Eyes and mouth full of fire, Perrin leapt up from the table, raising his weapon to defend himself, but Baal Zaman didn't seem to care, because all his attention was on the wolf before him. Oh, I feel bad for this wolf. Is this what you have to protect you? Well, I have faced this before. Many times before. And, uh, that's when that bastard Chosen crooked his finger. And fire exploded out of the wolf's eyes and ears, and then its very skin. And Perrin gave this horrified cry, forgetting all about his, I don't want to be a wolf, and leapt forward trying to put the fire out with his bare hands. But all that remained were the greasy ashes of the creature on his hands and Mistress Luhan's clean floor. And Perrin looked at the stuff on his palms, and he wanted it off him. He needed it off him bad, but the idea of wiping the wolf's remains on his clothes made him want to hurl. So instead, he grabbed his axe back up and raised it towards his enemy. His grip on the handle so firm, his knuckles cracked and turned white. Leave me alone, he shouted all the while. Mistress Luhan just went on cooking, stirring her pot, tapping her wooden spoon on the side while humming to herself. And now, personally, that's what I find the most creepy about this dream. Not Baal Zaman being an asshole. Or the sad death of the wolf in the dream. And we all know what that means. But how casually Mistress Luhan went about her business. While this horrible, horrible scene plays out behind her unnoticed. So yeah. Perrin yelled, leave me alone. And Balzaman responded with Hold a... Hold on a second. You didn't think I was scary? You thought Mistress Luhan was creepier than I? Really? I? The Heart of the Dark? What else could I have done? Uh, 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 just asking for a friend. Okay, but Alzama, that was not your line. You said you wanted to focus on the dream and not waste time. I thought it was creepy that the dream Mistress Luhan didn't notice all of the scary stuff happening around her. Not necessarily that she was scarier than you. Now, shut up! You flame-faced bastard, and stick to the point. Perrin yelled, leave me alone, and Balzaman responded with... Fine. You cannot run from me. You cannot hide from me. If you are the one, you are mine. The eye of the world consume you. I mark you mine. All right, thanks. You can go now. Yeah, go ahead. Go. Go. Fine. I will go. And I'll tell you this, Gleeman. We're having a Balsamon Q&A next episode. It will happen. Understood? Okay, he's gone. Oh, thank God. He was getting on my nerves. Uh, I do apologize if you hear any banging noises. Uh, there's a neighbor working on something outside, and they're right outside my window. Uh, and, you know, for all I know, they're doing something they feel like they need to do, so I don't want to go out and bother them. 
but uh, if it picks up on the microphone, I am sorry about that. Uh, okay. So with that, with his I mark you mine, Baalzaman flung out his hand in a throwing motion, and a raven sprung from his grip, flying directly at Perrin's face, and he felt the razor-sharp beak pierce his left eye, and he screamed in pain and horror, and I was horrified too. <laughs> and then he, you know, woke up. Now, this part of the chapter brought up something I've never thought about before. I believe I've told you before that my favorite Wheel of Time abilities are Wolf Brother and Channeler. And before now, I've always thought you couldn't have both abilities, right? So I'm always like, mm, I guess I'll be a Wolf Brother. Channeler would be great, but I I'd pick Wolf Brother, right? However, Balsamon makes it sound <laughs> like it is possible, right? The way he talks here, he sees the wolf, understands that this is parents' protection, and still says, if you're the one, that means you can be a wolf brother and channeler, right? Right? Oh, that would be cool. Maybe I could have my cake and eat it too. I want both powers, please. <laughs> like, that would be awesome. Okay, moving on. Perrin awakes just as Elias bends over to wake him up. Finally, finally, after all his waiting, it is time to go. <laughs> you know? And Perrin can also hear the wolves in the back of his mind. And uh, they're going a little bit nuts. Fire, pain, fire, hate, hate, kill. Like, it's... They're, they're a little worked up after Perrin's dream. <laughs> So Perrin sits around to gathering his things, and Rain comes out of his wagon and begins to examine the sky. And there was something there that Perrin couldn't see or sense, but Rain did. And it unnerved him. He, he did not like the look of the clouds in the distance. So he told Elias that he thinks they'll be making an early start themselves and heading east. Uh, maybe a steading near the spine of the world? That'd be nice. And Elias agrees that, yeah, trouble rarely enters a steading. Uh, but, you know, Ogier doesn't really like people very much. And <laughs> Rin's like, the traveling people are welcome everywhere. Besides, even Ogiers have pots and other things to mend. Which is nice. He's optimistic. And I think, yeah, he'd get along great with the Ogier. Uh, and, uh, that's when Rain asks if they'll be coming along with them, too. But Elias uh, explains that they're going to be going their own way from now. Uh, going their own way from here. <laughs> I'm sorry, from now? Really? Uh, and Rain's like, yeah, I figured. It seemed about time. Uh, and it's around this moment that Ela and Egwene exit the wagon. And Perrin expected an argument from Egwene. You know, that she might want to stay with the Tuathawan. Or, you know, or just not want to leave yet. But as soon as Elias explained, hey, we're heading out, she just went right back into the wagon to get her stuff and get ready to go. So, yeah, good on Egwene. I guess she always knew this Aram thing was just a fling, huh? A badly choiced fling, but still a fling. <sighs> Rain and Ela were both trying to convince the group to stay long enough for a meal at least, right? And Rain's arguing much much more vigorously than Ela, who's saying all the right words, but there's no real heart in him. You know, it's clear she really won't mind seeing the back of Elias, <laughs> if not Egwene and Perrin. Well, if not Egwene, you know, Perrin has that axe, you know what I mean? But Elias is like, no, nah, we gotta go, and the Seeker at least thinks that they need a proper farewell, you know? he He's never let anyone leave without a farewell feast, and if they can't do that... Everybody's going to at least say goodbye, right? Uh, so he runs around and starts banging on the wagons of all the tinkers who aren't awake yet. And they're getting ready for a proper goodbye, all showing up wearing their absolute best, making Rain and Isla and their simple yellow and red look positively boring in comparison. I don't know how the, the tinkers had time to change into their best that quickly, but whatever. They all took turns shaking hands with the party, except the girls who had teased Perrin with their dancing, because they hugged him instead. And apparently they hugged him quite warmly and vigorously, 
Because the hugs were enough for Perrin to wish that they weren't quite leaving just yet. <laughs> that is, until he realized how many people were watching and he turned bright red again. <laughs> oh, poor Perrin. Ah. But here's some good news. Perrin did see Aram pull Egwene aside and the two began to talk. And Aram seemed to be pleading at first, with Egwene just shaking her head. Nope, gotta go, got stuff to do. And then Aram's face changes from pleading to argument, and he's really starting to get fierce about it, you know? <laughs> he's starting to argue pretty heatedly until Egwene is saved by Ela, giving her grandson a few sharp words I wish we were able to hear. Oh, I would have loved to see here what Ela said. I really <laughs> But after that, Aram pushed moodily through the crowd and was gone. Gone! Oh, thank the light. Oh, we won't have to see his stupid face again till book four. Hooray! And then we'll see him a lot. We'll see him for what? Like five more books? God damn it. <laughs> Oh, we got to take our blessings where we can, right? All right. So after Perrin had shook hands with every single male tinker in sight at least once and hugged every girl in the camp twice, it was time to go. And Rain began the partying ceremony of the tinkers. And just like their welcome speech, I really like it. He says, you came in peace, depart now in peace. Always will our fires welcome you in peace. The way of the leaf is peace. And this here is the moment that I really like. Elias surprises everyone, especially Rain, Isla, Perrin, and Egwene, by giving back the proper response in a respectful manner. Peace be on you always, and on all the people. I will find the song, or another will find the song, but the song will be sung, this year or in a year to come. As it once was, so shall it be again, world without end. <laughs> Rain and Isla were flabbergasted, so, so freaking surprised that they almost didn't even finish the proper the proper farewell. They were like, uh, world, world without end. <laughs> they are just like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, and then with that, they prepared to depart. Rain accompanying them to the end of the camp. And I like this final personal farewell here. He wishes his old friend to take care, commenting on how there's a lot of wickedness in the world right now. And whatever Elias might try to claim, he is not so wicked that it might not gobble him up. It, it was nice. You get the feeling that even if Ela doesn't like Elias, and even though Elias and Rain have very different personal opinions... They are friends, and I really, I really liked that. Moving on, we're just about done here. I really liked how Elias got a bit embarrassed with them watching them, and he's like, what? Like, what? There was no reason to make them feel bad by ruining their ceremony. None at all. And Egwene's like, yeah, totally, none at all. Like, it's just, we didn't expect it. <laughs> Ah, and upon finally leaving the camp for good, the wolves come to meet Elias, a meeting of equals, unlike how the dogs run up lolling to their masters. No, not the wolves. It's a dignified meeting of equals, and I love it. And they were telling him about, you know, their and Perrin's dream. Fire eyes, pain, heart thing, death, heart thing. You know, mm, heart thing's the name of the dark one for wolves, so yeah. Perrin tried to ignore them. He really did. He didn't want to think about the dream. And Egwene got a, got a, a side Bella? That's what I wrote. That's what I wrote in my notes. Perrin, Egwene got a side Bella. What does that even mean? I don't understand. Was it supposed to be a stride Bella? Maybe. It was, Egwene took the first term on Bella. Uh, and Perrin was walking beside. And Elias was leading them, as expected. And uh, he, Perrin was, like, really, really trying not to think about the dream. But still, he had thought that the wolves would make him safe from those kind of dreams, at least, you know? And this is where we get a very important response from the wolves. They say, not complete, except full heart, 
full mind. You still struggle. Only complete when you accept. So when parents stop says, I don't want to be a wolf. You know? Balsamon won't be able to mess with him in his dreams anymore. Or will Lanfear. Or will Mogideon. He'll be their equal or better in the dream. Because he, he never thinks about channeling. Because he can't. And the world of dreams is so much more than that. Tell me it wouldn't have been cool to see uh, Mo Gideon go up against Perrin in the dream world. Ooh, that would have been cool. Ooh. Anyways, yeah. So the, I, I really liked the wolves' sending. Not complete, except full heart, full mind. It, it's the way the wolves talk, and it makes it very clear. You need to, you need to get behind this. And then you'll be better. Then you'll be safe. Then you'll be who you really are. Quit. Stop rejecting a part of yourself. And this is something Rand will be doing later too. Rejecting a part of himself. But once you accept who you truly are, things are a lot better. And that's just life, really. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe it's hard to become one with the wolves and have the full protection if you're constantly complaining about the wolves. Accept it, man. <sighs> but we know, we all know, that that will take a while. A very long while. <laughs> oh, man. Perrin, not wanting to hear this from the wolves, shoves them out of his head. And then he's kind of startled by it because he's like... Whoa, I didn't know I could do that. I was like, I'm not going to let them in my head again. You know, proving he's a, being a bit of a dumbass at the moment. Yeah, I'm not going to let them in, even though they just said they could protect me from Baalzaman if I accept them. So I won't accept them. It's, come on, Perrin. <sighs> I like this final sending, though, even though we're not sure if it was Perrin or the wolves that did it. Because he's like, I won't let them in ever again. And then there's this thought... Even in dreams? And Perrin's like, well, shit, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, the chapter comes to a close with Perrin trying to distract himself from the wolves and asking Egwene what she was, you know, always chatting about in private with Hila, you know? What was that all about? To which Egwene responded that she was giving her advice on being a woman. <sighs> and this causes Perrin to laugh. Which is obviously a bad move. <laughs> and caused him to miss the dangerous look she gave him too. And he's like, advice? No one tells us how to be men. We just are. And then Egwene comes in with the winning blow. You ready? You ready? She's like, oh. And that, Egwene says, is probably why you're so bad at it. Oh man, that was good. Five points to Gryffindor. I, what? What? Wrong. Wrongsters. Five points to Egwene. And the, and the chapter ends with Elias cackling loudly at Egwene's retort. Elias loved it. <laughs> and that is the end of chapter 27, Shelter from the Storm. So, yeah, that was a great chapter. We had... Perrin dealing with the Tinkers and being frustrated about them being unsafe, which made sense. He started, truly started his brooding phase. Egwene was cheating on Rand, but whatever. Whatever. Um, it was a good chapter. The wolf stuff was cool. Hopper came out looking awesome. Uh, Elias was funny through most of the chapter, actually. And he gave out one of those awesome, awesome Willow Time quotes that are probably in my top five or ten all time. You know, just sayings, you know? Kind of like, uh, what's another one? Um, women forgive, uh, women forgive but never forget, and men forget but never forgive. That's another one of my all-time favorites. Oh, it's just good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, once again, congratulations to Mosey Me for winning this month's drawing. Uh, next month's prize will be either, uh, well, actually, I don't know, because it's up to Mosey Me to decide if they want the coin set or the gift card. And if they want the gift card, then the coin set might be available next month. But I also already purchased, uh, the first volume of the Wheel of Time graphic novel for the Eye of the World. So that will also be an option starting next month. It's not here yet, so I can't offer that now. <laughs> but 
But yeah, so Wheel of Time uh, coin set or $15 e-gift card. Uh, but I do want to say, Mosey Me, you will not be eligible for next month's raffle. It would be completely unfair if someone won twice in a row. So you won't be eligible for October's raffle, but you will be eligible for November's once again, all right? So I will be contacting you... Uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm beat. I want to do some other stuff. Uh, this was a fun chapter. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please, please check out my Patreon. You can get a chance to get in the drawing for just a dollar a month. And, uh, yeah. So, I hope you guys all have a wonderful rest of your day wherever you are uh always remember like subscribe review criticize and mustaches <laughs> i still miss tom maryland folks I i'm not ready i want him back i want him back and i'm upset because next time he's only gonna be back for like a couple chapters and it's gonna be a tease it's gonna be a tease and then when and then the Dragon Reborn is going to come around and it's going to be the best thing ever. The Dragon Reborn is one of my all-time favorite books of the entire series. Oh, I'm so excited for it because you know, Great Hunt is one of my least favorite of the entire series. It has a lot of good stuff in it. A lot of good stuff in it. A lot of important stuff in it. But just overall, it's one of my least favorite of the series. It's not bad by any means. Just if you got to rank them, some of them are going to fall short. You know what I mean? So I'm just rambling now. Take care, everybody. Peace out. Bye.